Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Well, praise the Lord. We've been in a series called I Love My Church. Y'all been enjoying this? Hopefully you didn't miss Sledgehammer Week last week. If you did, it's available on YouTube or our podcast. That's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, we've been talking about I love my church. And let's say this all together as loud as we can. One, two, three. I love my church. That's good. Let's say it again one more time. I'm going to count three and then we'll say it. One, two, three. That's good. Let's say it one more time. Put a little attitude in it this time. One, two, three. Y'all sound good today. Um, man, I do. I love my church. I hopefully you love your church as well. I always tell people, you know, I hope you have that my church experience where it's just as much your church as it is mine. And it's not my church because I'm the pastor. It's my church because I decided to plant my life here, my family here. I decided to serve here, to attend here, to give here. Right? Like This is my church, and I hope you have that my church experience. There's a lot of amazing churches in our city, and um, I just think this is the best one. And if you don't have, but I'm biased, and that's okay. Um, if you don't have a home church, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we can answer some questions for you. If God would lead you here, we, we would love that. And this is your official invitation to be part of the family. One of the things I believe Victory is called to do is bring the lonely into families. And so that's why we always say uh, this is a family. But at Victory, we exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose. That's why our church exists, to tell people about Jesus and help people to grow to know him more. Amen? And I can't think of a better thing to give our lives to. So often people give their lives for a hobby or a team or whatever else. And, it, you know, like, that's great. Like, enjoy this life. But I'm not going to give my life to a thing that can't give me anything back. Like, that's emptiness. We have the opportunity to give our lives for the one who gave his life for us. We have our lives, our opportunity to give our lives to something that impacts the life of somebody else. And that's one of the reasons we love our church. You know, I think another great reason to love your church is because Jesus loves your church. Did you know that Jesus died for your church, for his church? And in case you forgot, you and I are the church. The building is not the church. I love the school, but the church is not the building. It's not the school. Like if we were outside, uh, we would still be the church because everywhere we go, you and I are the church. And so um, I love you. Come on, somebody. Uh, I'm so thankful for each one of you guys. Thank you, Miss Rhonda. I love you too, Miss Rhonda. Thankful for you. Uh, today, the word of the Lord is get up. Look at somebody and say, get up. Yeah. Now, that's not the dismissal, so please don't leave. <laughs> that's just my first dismissal. I get three. Praise the Lord. That was funny. I don't care what y'all say. The word of the Lord is get up. You know, all throughout Scripture, uh, the church is compared to a lot of things. We're kind of given uh, imagery of what the church is like. The church is called the bride of Christ. 
the church is called the body of Christ. We talked about that last week, bodybuilders being those that build up each other in the body. The church is referred to as the family of God. We're called the sons, the daughters of God. As scripture says, God adopts us into his own family. Right? It, it, scripture calls the church the army of God that is pushing back darkness on the earth. There, there's a lot of pictures of what the church should look like, but I also tend to believe, as I read through Scripture, that the church is also like a hospital. The church should be like a hospital. So if you have your Bibles with you today, the free Version Bible app on one of your devices, get those out. Uh, I'm going to pretend like you're on the Bible app or the notes app and not Facebook. If I see that glow on your face, praise the Lord. Help me preach better. But turn with me to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible or one of those apps, they'll put the uh, scriptures on the screen for you. Mark chapter 2, verse 15. Before we read that, I almost forgot because I didn't put it in my notes. Um, I just want to take a moment. And um, this Tuesday um, is my, me and my wife's 19th wedding anniversary. Praise the Lord. And so I, my wife is leading Victory Kids this morning, but I just want to say happy anniversary to her. And I brought a couple pictures. Is that all right? They're going to put these. Look at those babies right there. My goodness. Wow. Put up the next one, Joey. This was on our wedding day. We were young and <laughs> praise the Lord. Look at those sideburns, y'all. God is good. God delivers us from everything. He makes a way. But 19 years, and I'm so thankful. And um, uh, she's the love of my life, so thankful for her. And just the amazing uh, woman that she is. What y'all don't know is that I could not... Uh, lead the way that I do or be the pastor I am without her. And so I'm so thankful for her in my life. And um, if you don't have a good wife, this is a good time in the lobby after service to just kind of stand there, look for somebody moderately attractive. And it's a good time to go to lunch right after church. People full of the spirit. It's a good time. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I also want to take a moment and shout out um, uh, somebody on our dream team whose birthday is tomorrow, Miss Joey Davis back there. Um, if you see Miss Joey, make sure you tell her happy birthday. Happy birthday, Joey. So thankful for you helping lead on our production team. But Mark chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners. Let me hear you say sinners. Yeah, you got to say it like the Grinch. Sinners. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, I think that's so interesting. And, you know, typically this is one part of Scripture. Have you ever had parts of Scripture you know the story and so you kind of skim past some things? Like this is always one of those points where we kind of skim past some details. But I think it's so interesting here that there are people who are sinners, people who are far from God, people who are imperfect, who are broken, who are messed up, who are deceived. And what were they doing? They were trying to be close to Jesus. That's awesome. I think that's so powerful, like, and I think it's a good place to stop and say, like, like, this is what the church should be like. 
It should be a space where people who are messed up, who don't believe the same that we do, who don't act the same that we do, who are far from God, who have questions, who have doubts, can come in and be close to Jesus because it's only being in close to Jesus that they can understand who he is and be changed to be more like him, right? And I, I love this detail of the story is that, um, man, there's these people that are close to Jesus, and, and, it, and it's interesting um, that the next verse says, the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, and they just started talking. They just started questioning. There's always those people who are just, when, when somebody comes in who is just far from God and just grateful to, to know God and love God and have the opportunity. Man, can I just say, like, if we ever get to the point where there's not broken people in the church, we got a problem like Houston, we have a problem. If there's if there's somebody sitting beside me that that uh, like that that only believes like I do, that's a problem. If if I'm the most spiritual one in the room, that's a problem. We need people around us that that are trying to know God from every facet of life. That's what the church was meant to be, a hospital where anyone can come in and find hope, healing, love, acceptance and forgiveness in Jesus. We are not a spiritual country club. All right, I got three amens. We are not a spiritual country club for the perfect and the put together. We are not a clique. We are a group of people who are imperfect, just trying to know Jesus more, ready to take another step in our faith, ready to grow a little bit more. The church is a family. It's a body, but it's also a hospital. So the teachers of the law who knew about God. They should have known what Jesus would have been about because they knew scripture. They, they had studied it their whole life. They're there uh, watching the scene, not even participating. It just says they saw them, Jesus, engaging with his people. So they're on the outside, but they were close enough that when they begin to question the disciples, that other people heard them, meaning they probably wanted other people to hear. They were throwing shade. They wanted other people to hear their condescending questions and the, oh, what it, they're probably not good enough to be around. Look what they said. Why does he eat with these tax collectors and these sinners? Like, it's just like looking down on people and being like, listen, we all were lost. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And let us never get so, quote, unquote, spiritual that we think we're better than someone who just hasn't met him yet. Come on. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, I love that Jesus heard them. <laughs> Jesus looked at him and said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is one reason, this scripture, why I believe the church is like a hospital, right? We say it this way. We are the church, but we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the world. We're going to work incredibly hard to have amazing church services, uh, amazing moments of worship like we just had to enter into his presence where you can experience the power of God and hear from him. I work incredibly hard to bring the word of God to you in, in a life-giving and fun way. But man, it's not just so that you can have a great Sunday morning. It's so that you can be filled up and go out and make a difference in this world. Come on. We exist for people who aren't in the family. And if you've come in today, maybe you're on the other side feeling a little broken. Maybe you feel a little messed up, wondering, do I, like, is this a good place for me? Yes, you are in the right place. I can't speak for other houses, but I can speak for this church when I say you are welcome here. I don't care where you were last night. You're right here right now. 
you know, and God brought you here on purpose. You're not in the wrong place. This is the absolute best place you can be. And listen, I'll tell you this. If you will stay connected, if you will stay leaning in, if you'll keep asking questions, if you'll hang around, then God will move in you. There will be healing flow to you. There will be blessing and anointing that gets poured out on your life in great ways. And you'll look back and you'll be like, man, God pulled me out of the pit that I was in and set me on a path. Come on, this is a good place to be. You know, if you were to walk into a hospital today, uh, you would probably not be surprised to find sick people there. How crazy would it be to go to the urgent care, to wait to get in to see the doctor, and you get back there, and the doctor comes in and is like, what's wrong? Nothing. Uh, you already paid your copay. You can just tell me what's wrong. Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. Why are you here? Right? But sometimes we come to God that way with our, our perfect perp perfectly polished exterior. God, I'm, everything's just great, we, you know, but so when we come in, like, we come into his presence saying, God, you are the perfect one. What do you want to do in me? We go to a hospital that's going to be full of sick people. People know that's a place they can go to find uh, healing, to find help. And, and, and we don't need to pretend like that's not the case. This is a hospital. And, in fact, in a hospital, you know what's in a hospital? Nurses, doctors, physicians, assistants. And I'm just saying this is a day. This is your day to get called up. We need some future physicians in the house, some people who will come and say it's not just about me to show up on a Sunday morning, but I can come. I can make a difference. I can speak life. I can help raise up a generation. I can be a spiritual EMT. I can be a spiritual mom and dad to some boys and girls. I might not have been to seminary and have degrees on my wall, but I can be faithful. I can show up. I can hug some kids and let them know Jesus loves them. This is how we worship. I, like We can be that when we come into the house. We don't need to be perfect. We need to be faithful. We need to be available. Come on, somebody. I came ready to preach 83% better than y'all are amen in today. I just came to stir up some people today like it's time to get up. I came with a wake-up call louder than what's on your iPhone to say, hey, church, it's time to get up. I want to stir up your faith today so that you realize you are part of the plan. You are part of God's plan to change the world. It takes all of us. I can't do it by myself. I can't. Me and my wife, and Pastor Heather, we can't do it alone. We can't lead every group. We can't be at every event. We can't do everything, you know, that is unless you want us to give it our best college try, use all of our energy and all of our strength and burn out and run out early. No, nobody wants that. Like, this is a participation event. This is not a spectator sport. We're called in this together. In fact, according to what the Bible says, as a pastor, my job is not to even do it all. My job as a pastor is to train up and equip the body to do it all. All right, come on. That, that's, you know, that's why I say, like, we, we are better together. Like, you know, if, if everybody just wanted to just sit back, like, well, I'll do my best. I'm going to work hard, but... Come on, you have a place. Sometimes when things aren't happening or you see holes that are, are not there or, man, why don't we do this? It's, I find it's those points where God is stirring something inside of your spirit because he wants you to be the answer to that thing that's missing. Okay, I got three amens. Are you all out there today? Come on. Sometimes you got to shout your boy down. Listen, God's plan 
was and still is to raise up an army of people who have been broken but have allowed the power of his spirit to come in and fill them and make them whole so they can minister his life and his healing to other people. You know, when you go to the the urgent care in the ER, your number one goal is to get better. You don't go there to hang out. You know, when you're in the hospital, I don't know of anybody who goes to the hospital and just wants to stay in the bed, the sick bed longer. Nobody wants to do that. I remember when I went to the hospital, when I cut my thumb, um, for those that don't know, I cut my thumb on a table saw, got all the way to the bone. And, um, you know, I was in the hospital for three days, had to have surgery. Um, But the interesting thing about when you go to the hospital is when they release people from the hospital, they don't wait for them to be 100%. Have you ever thought about that? When, when you get released from the hospital, they just want you to be well enough not to keel over when you leave. You know, they just want to make sure you're not bleeding out anywhere. There's no infection. They want to give you a plan to continue to your recovery to get better. You know, I was in the hospital for, for three days when my thumb was getting better. But when I left, my thumb was not healed. It had been repaired. Right? It had been bandaged up, but it was still needing healing. If I would have stayed in the hospital until my thumb was completely healed, which, you know, I have scar tissue and stuff there now, um, it would have been three months. Three months before my thumb was like where it looked like a thumb again without scabs and all kinds of nasty looking stuff. You know, three months. Imagine sitting in the hospital bed, thumbs up for three months. That would have been crazy. I would have missed out on so much. And in fact, it probably would have caused other problems because inactivity over an extended period of time causes a lot of issues throughout the other parts of your body, right? I would have missed out in those three months of sitting in the hospital bed. I would have missed out on my moment to step into leadership here in the church because it was during those three months that the church leadership transition was passed to me. See, when we want to stay in the hospital bed, when we want to stay laying down in that place where we're just in the hospital bed, I'm going to just lay down right here. This is my hospital bed today. When we stay in the hospital bed, we miss out on so many things. We miss out on purpose. We miss out on moments that God wants to advance us and bring us into things. We even will cost us more than we wanted to pay. Imagine a hospital bill for three months. Wow. No one wants to pay for that, including your insurance company. That's why they put limits on your insurance, right? Anytime we choose to stay in that place because I'm just not ready and I don't think I can and whatever else. Listen, God wants to raise you up right now, right where you are, to be the light, to make a difference. You know, there's this whole idea, well, I've got to be ready. I've got to be healed. Is it important for you to find wholeness and healing in Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Isn't that why? Jesus came so that you could have wholeness? Isn't that why Jesus uh, bled and died on the cross? Every stripe he bore on his back was for what? Was for our healing, was for our redemption. So is it important for you to have wholeness? Yes. Isn't that why Jesus was raised from the dead so that the power and the life of God could be working in your body? Yes. 3 John 2 says, uh, beloved friends, it is God's will that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. See, so God doesn't want you broke down. God doesn't want you, like, limping along, not able to get by. No, God wants you prospering, right? The Scripture says, he says, I'm praying that you would prosper. Uh, This translation, the Passion Translation, says in every way. How many ways is that? Every way. It's an open book test. Every way, when you translate that phrase back to the original language, you know what it means? 
every way. <laughs> it means every way. God wants you to prosper in every way. He says, uh, I want you to, he says, that means physical health. I want you to have God's wills that you would have physical health, that you would prosper in that way. He says, even as your soul is prospering, your soul is your mind, your will, your emotion. So you're not meant to live in mental disorder. You're not meant to live with anxiety or depression. You're meant to have live mentally prospering. Okay, we need some more amens right there. You're meant to live with the sound mind of Christ. You're meant to have wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. But sometimes we just want to stay in that hospital bed because we're not ready. And too many people, too many Christians have made a permanent place out of what was meant to be temporary. The hospital bed of being sick and being the one was meant to be a temporary place. But many people have made it permanent. And the longer we stay there, then we, it's, you know, it, it tends to be like, well, I like the attention. People are waiting on me hand and foot. People flock to me and take care of all my needs. And without noticing, we've had this gradual shift towards self while we lay in the hospital bed when we're meant to get up and get out and get going. Come on, somebody. I'm way behind in my notes. Praise the Lord. Um, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Isaiah chapter 61. Um, and I want to read this uh, passage of scripture today. And what this is, Isaiah 61, is a prophetic declaration that the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus, what, what Jesus would come to do on the earth. And in fact, Jesus actually, when he started his ministry, he got up and read this passage of Isaiah in front of people. And he said, today this passage has been fulfilled or completed in their ears. He was declaring, this is what I've come to do on the earth. And I believe as an extension of Jesus, we're meant to do the same thing. So I want to read this today over your life uh, as a prophetic declaration over you, and I'm going to personalize it to you, and my prayer is that you would receive this, that it would begin to stir your spirit up, to begin to breathe fresh life of vision into you. It says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you because the Lord has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive and release from darkness for the prisoners. He's sending you to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You will rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will, you will renew the, the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Come on. Anybody's family history have some, some devastation in it, some destruction, some people around you that you know like their lives are falling apart? God has anointed you to go and rebuild those places that have been destroyed, to rebuild the places 
places that have been broken down, to bind up those who feel like their life is just falling apart. This is what it means to be a spiritual doctor, to be a spiritual EMT in the house of God. We might go through some difficult times. We might go through some pain, but our story doesn't end because of those things. Our story is not even defined by the pain that we go through. Our story is defined and driven by the purpose of God in us to make a difference in the lives of other people, to bring his healing everywhere that we go. Come on. Um, If you've got your Bibles, again, turn with me a couple chapters over to Mark chapter 5. Three chapters to the right. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I want to look at this story today um, of of two different people. A guy named Jairus and then this other lady that we don't know her name. Um, And I want to get four keys out of this story that I believe are going to help us to get up. And it's not just to get up so you can do some things. God wants you to get up out of the sickbed, out of that place, so that you can live a healthy and impactful life. You weren't made for the hospital bed. You were made for the sickbed. You were made for victory. You were made to overcome. You are made to carry anointing. You are made for purpose. And so I believe God wants to raise us up, and hopefully if these uh, resonate with you, you'll write a few of these down. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I love that picture of Jesus. You know, anybody ever been in that place with Jesus, just crying out like, Jesus, I need you right now. Come on, it's okay. Like, I love this picture because that just tells me that Jesus is not afraid when we come to him and life is falling apart. And we're like, Jesus, if you don't show up right now, something is not going to work. Something is going to fall apart. Like there's desperation in this father. And I get it. I've been in that place in my life. Like he's like, my daughter is dying. Jesus, I need you now. God, please show up. Whatever you got to do. And I love Jesus went with him. And Jesus goes with you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, Jesus will go with you. Yeah. When Jesus went with him, it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. The first key to getting up, to living healthy and impactful is this, press into Jesus. If you want to get up out of that place, you got to press in. You got to know Jesus more than you know him yesterday. You got to be closer to him than you were last week. And I love that statement. It says a large crowd of people pressed into Jesus. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to know him. Sure, I'm, I'm sure there were people there with wrong motives just to observe and see what he would do. But, man, there's people there that wanted to be close to him, that wanted to hear his words, that wanted to, to know him in deeper ways. We got to press into Jesus if we want to get up out of that place, if we want to live on purpose. It's going to require more than what we have on our own, and it's only found in Jesus. When I, when I think about this picture, the large crowd pressed into him, I think about being at the Magic Kingdom at Disney. Anybody been there before? When the fireworks are getting ready to start, you know, and everybody is pressing into the castle, and people are getting uncomfortably close to you, and then when the fireworks are over, and everyone wants to ride the monorail at one time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
um, that, I, like, that's what I feel like when people are pressing into me, like people touching me that I don't know, you know, we're all like this. Will this monorail hold all of us? I don't think so, you know. Like that's the picture, though, of people pressing in to know Jesus, this large crowd. And I think sometimes we got to get that way with Jesus. Like whatever it takes, I want to be close to you. Here's the good news. You can press into Jesus without feeling claustrophobic. You don't have to have people around you to be close into him. It's just a realization that, hey, i got to push some other things aside to push into him. If I want to know him, i got to get with him. I love what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says. He says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. You can press into his presence with boldness, knowing that he's excited to see you. Did you know that when you come to God's presence, he's like excited that you're there? Well, then I got the right message today. Because three people said, that's right. God is excited to see you. God is excited when you want to hear from him. He's excited when you get into the word. He's excited when you come to him. And here's the spoiler alert. You don't ever have to leave his presence. And that doesn't mean you have to stay in a prayer closet and always just act overly spiritual. No, you can continually live connected to the Spirit of God, flowing with Him, hearing Him speak to you, having the joy of the Lord, having peace in all times. You can be in His presence everywhere that you go. You can come boldly into His presence. Why? So that you can receive mercy, so that you can find grace in your time of need. Man, such a great promise of God. You can come into His presence. I wrote down a couple things like, how do we how do we practically do that? Like, it's great. Thanks, Pastor, for telling me I can continually be in God's presence. How do I do that? I'm a practical guy, so I like the practical things. Some, some ways that every day we can press into the presence of God. One is to silence distractions. I just, I've just learned in my own life, I get those times where I'm like, yes, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend like six hours tomorrow reading my Bible. It's going to be so good, Jesus. I'm going to, you're going to be, you know, you, anybody ever been there? You're like you get, you get pumped up in a moment. You want to know God. You're ready to dive in. But then like all the distractions come. You know, the track trash truck comes down the street and it's loud, knocks something over, the neighbor's car alarm goes off, you woke up late, you didn't hear your alarm, there's distractions or that, that, that house chore that you've been meaning to do but didn't really want to do and pushed off, all of a sudden you have this urge to get on Google and find the best three ways to do it. You know, anybody else or is it just, just me? Okay, it's just me, I guess. Let's praise the Lord. I just found that anytime you're ready to press into his presence, there will be distractions. There will be something coming to steal your attention, try to steal your focus, try to steal the passion. And we've just got to, we've got to grow up spiritually, hashtag adult a little bit, and, and not allow distractions to drive our lives. In our thoughts, distractions will come about the meeting at work, about whatever needs to happen here. What's on my calendar today? I wonder what's on Facebook or what about this? No, we need to um, uh, silence some of those distractions. It'll be okay. Maybe your distraction is your device that you need to put on focus or just turn it off or put it in another room and say, I don't need that right now. There's some things that we can distract, uh, that can distract us. God speaks in a still small voice. And if we want to hear him speaking more clearly, we want to press in to know him, we're going to need to silence some distractions. Another way you can press in to Jesus is to read the Bible. I know that's the obvious one. It's the one you expect me to say, but it's just true. If you want to know God more, you want to hear what God is speaking, God speaks through his word. 
you can 100% guarantee know that it's God speaking to you and not just you when you read the words on the page because we know Scripture was given to us by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. So yes, men wrote down, men and women wrote down the words of the Bible, but here it's saying that God breathed on them. God inspired them, spoke to their spirit, and they just wrote down what God spoke to them. It's useful in our lives for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So the servant of God, that's you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God wants you to be equipped for what he's called you to do. God wants you to have everything you need to be the light at your job, to be successful at work, to have the ideas, to have your family be strong, to lead your kids, to raise them to know his voice. God wants you to be thoroughly equipped for everything you'll go through. But he's telling us that equipping comes through knowing scripture, from spending time reading. So if you want to know Jesus more, like read the Bible. And listen, don't just read it to read the words on the page. You know, read it, read it to find life. Read the Bible to find wisdom. Read the Bible, like open up the page and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? Like read it with some expectation. Read it like you believe what Hebrews says, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, judges the thoughts and the attitude of my heart. Like God, judge my attitude today. Where have I been wrong in my life today? Oh, God's going to speak to you. You want to be close to Jesus? Well, pray regularly. You want to press into him? Pray regularly. You know, I would say it this way, a healthy and impactful life starts in prayer. Starts in prayer. When Jesus was on the earth, he took regular time to pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Come on. We see it again, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Here, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with the, the five loaves and the two fish. He's preached this amazing sermon. They had seen a miracle. Verse 23, after he dismissed the people, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Listen, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Word of God in flesh, right? He was just as much God as he was man. And if he needed to get alone with all of the miracles and all of the sermons and all the wisdom, and he needed time to pray, guess what? What about you and me? <laughs> we do too. Come on. That's a good place to say amen. So we need to press into Jesus so that we can get up. So in our story, back to Mark chapter 5, here's this father, Jairus. He presses through the crowds. He asks Jesus, hey, I need you to come to my house. His daughter was dying, and then Jesus heads to his house. Verse 25 says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grows worse. So here you have this dad asking Jesus for a miracle. Like, Jesus, this is 911. I need you now. This is life and death. And, and Jesus decides to go. They start out on this journey. And Scripture says, and a woman came and interrupted Jesus. 
Have you ever been believing God for a miracle? You needed him to show up and there was some interruption. Something happened that waylaid and you've been believing God and it didn't seem to work out. And then you look to the side and you see somebody else getting their miracle, getting their blessing. God, where are you? I told you I needed you right now. Sometimes in life there seems to be divine interruptions. Anybody ever experienced that? Here, this is what's happening to this dad. And, 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 but I, I, think, I think what's important to understand is that we know the name of this dad. And here it just says, and a woman who had this issue. Have you ever been known by your issue? <laughs> if we're going to get up out of the sick bed, if we're going to get up and live a healthy, impactful life, you've got to know your identity. You've got to know who you are. Because if not, that thing that, this has been an issue in your life. Have you ever been in that place where something is going on in your life or your family and everyone starts to know you by that and think that way about you or about your family? Like it's so easy to become known by our issue or whatever it is. Like, uh, so my question for you today is who are you? Who are you? If you were to, let's, let's take a little exercise. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to think of when I ask that question, who are you? What's the first word that comes to your mind? Who are you? I am what? Who are you? You know, the reality is you can be known by anything. And if you don't establish who you are and know who you are in Christ, there will be issues and pains and hurts that are going to come and try to label who you are. They're going to come try to label your destiny and your future and what God wants to do through your life. Try to keep you stuck in that sickbed so that you don't get up. But see, the thing about it is once you understand who you are in Christ, man, you can't help but get up out of that sickbed because you know the power that's at work inside of you. You know the calling on your life. You know the anointing that you carry. And then it's no wonder then the devil would bring things to try to keep you in that bed. But you know, when you know who you are in Christ, you know you were not made for that sick bed. Come on, somebody. You've got to know who you are in Christ. Whatever that word that came to you a moment ago, there's only one word, one of two words that comes to God's mind when he thinks about you. And that's son or daughter. Man, if you are in Christ, you've given your life to Christ, you are a son. You are a daughter of God. That's how he sees you. That's who you are. And scripture goes a step further and he says, now you are an heir because of your faith. So all of the promise, everything that God has is now yours. You inherit it all. You, you, like, you get it all. And, and, and I think it's important. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It, it defines who you are this way. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for you, so that in Jesus you would become the righteousness of God. So when you give your life to Jesus, now you receive the righteousness of Jesus in your life. It is yours. It is not just yours. He says you literally become, it's like you're a transformer. <laughs> and you change into something else. One moment you were a pickup truck, and then when you receive Jesus, now you're the righteousness of God. You changed. You became that thing. So when God looks at you, he doesn't look at your issue. He doesn't say, oh, that's so-and-so with that issue. No, God looks at you through the lens of how he looks at Jesus. He looks at you and sees you through Jesus' righteousness. 
when you begin to get a hold of this, it begins to awaken inside of you. Man, it just changes you. It begins, then you begin to understand what it means to live in freedom from sin. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could remain bound to addiction and sin. Jesus died on the cross so that you could live free to, from sin, so that you could live in righteousness because that is who you are. You have become righteous. God sees you that way. He sees you in right standing with him. So who are you? I just came today to remind you of who you are. Remind you of who you are in Christ. You are loved by God. Not because of what you did or what you can do or didn't do. You are just deeply and extravagantly loved by God. He loves you. Who are you, right? You are believed in. You are believed in by God and you are believed in by us in this house. You are believed in. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. You are chosen by God. You are a priest to God. You, you are royalty. You are strong and empowered. You are worthy of love. Come on. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are washed clean. You are restored. You are free from guilt. You are free from shame. You are free from addiction. You are trustworthy. You are talented and well able to do what God has called you to do. You are the right one. You are the one God has called. You are valuable. Come on, look at somebody and say, you are valuable. That is just a glimpse of who you are in Christ. But we just got to get a hold of this and remember, like, I'm not all of that stuff. That's why I think it's so important to get around the right people. You need some people in your corner who are going to start talking about what God is doing in you and start calling out what you're going to do in the future and speaking to future things and not just rehearsing your history and what you've been through and saying, well, that's who you are. No, I need some people in my corner to say, hey, you are chosen by God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I know you feel discouraged today, but get up. I'm praying for you. I'm going to lift up your arms. That's what we need to remind ourselves. That's why you need to be in a group. It's not so that we can say, oh, look how many groups we have. No, the group is for you. So I just encourage you, get in a group. Men, come on, where are all the men at? Oh, oh. Thursday night, stormer, you know, let's go. Let's get together. Let's encourage one another. Verse 27, our story continues. When she heard about Jesus, here's our woman. She had the issue. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched the bottom of his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd. Remember the crowd pressing into him, trying to get on the monorail, that kind of crowd? He said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, who touched you? Everyone's trying to touch you. Like people are pressing in and you're like, who touched me? I thought you were Jesus. I thought you knew something. You know, like can you imagine that moment like, what? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. <laughs> you know, I think that's just funny. Jesus, uh, and she just tells the whole story, which is great. But imagine you're the dad waiting for Jesus to come heal his daughter. Like, come on, hurry up, tell your story, lady. Come on, my daughter, come, Jesus. Could, uh, we've been like that with Jesus before, haven't we? But he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. 
Go in peace and be freed. Be whole from your suffering. Here's the third key. If you want to get up and begin to live healthy and impactful for God's glory, you've got to believe and act in faith. You've got to believe and act in faith. And there is a lot that can be taught and said about faith. And we'll have some more teaching in, in the days and weeks coming on faith. But I want to just kind of set the table. The faith 101. What does that mean, faith in our lives? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 defines faith this way. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. So faith is involved in something I don't have yet. Faith is in something I don't see the outcome or see the solution. I have faith. That's why we sang today, I know breakthrough is coming. And I don't know what breakthrough you're believing God for in your life. I know what breakthrough I'm believing for in my life. And I haven't seen the breakthrough happen yet. But I know it's coming. I have confidence. I'm assured it's coming. That's the spirit of faith. That's where faith begins. Faith is assurance, confidence in what we do not see. It's just like believing in Jesus. I don't maybe you have seen Jesus with your physical eyes. Jesus has never appeared to me physically where I've seen him with my eyes. I know some people have. That's their story. That's great. But even though I've never seen Jesus with my eyes, my faith is confident. I'm assured he is alive. He is my redeemer. He is my healer. Come on. It's assurance. Like we have the spirit of faith in us, but so often we just want to have like God increase my faith. Yes, God wants to increase your faith, but not just so you could have big faith. God wants you to have big faith because big faith always has corresponding action action that goes out from itself and makes an impact. James chapter 2 verse 7. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. So if all you have is hoping and believing and faith, but you're not doing anything, you're just staying in that hospital sick bed, God, I believe one day you're going to do great things in my life. I just, I hope it's true, God, you know, you're going to just help me to do amazing things. No, today is the time. Now is the time to get up out of that place. Faith needs a corresponding action or it's worthless. It's dead. It's good for nothing. And that's why so often like, we don't need to just come to church just to get shocked back to life once a week. No, if we, we live this way every day, our faith going with action, putting our faith into work, right? I, I call this mixing faith with the word. Faith comes Romans tells us by hearing and hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ, right? Faith comes, it begins to grow in us that way. Faith comes, we begin to hear it, but then we begin to believe it. This woman in the story, she must have heard the stories about Jesus. She had to have heard about the miracles, otherwise she wouldn't have come. She heard what was going on. She heard the stories. At some point, faith began to rise in her because it says she began to think to herself. She began to probably say to herself, self, if you can just get close to him, you don't even need him to pray over you. If you can just get close and touch the bottom of his robe, you can be healed. Faith began to rise. She began to believe it. She believed it so much so that she pressed into an environment where she didn't belong. In fact, their cultural regulations would have, would have not allowed her to be in that setting because of her issue. It would have kept her from being in that place, but here she is. Faith is driving her to action. See, faith is not just believing. The spirit of faith is, 2 Corinthians 4.13 is this. The spirit of faith is I believe, then I speak. So faith 
is not just something inside of me. Faith is then released by the words of my mouth. So here's this woman. If I get close to him, I can be healed. Then she reaches out. There's an action. She touches his robe. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. The bottom of Jesus' robe, you know what would have been down by his feet, would have been the lowest, the dirtiest part of his robe because he would have been walking. They walked everywhere, and it would have been covered in dirt and everything. And when you would come into someone's house, they would wash your feet to clean them. His robe would have been dirty and, and probably some threads that were hanging off of there would have been the lowest, most disgusting place to touch. And it was that lowly place where she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment on the bottom. And a place, uh, uh, that's where healing and began to happen. And Jesus said it was because of her faith. If you're going to get up out of that place where you've been known by your issue, where you've been held back thinking, I could never be the one that God could use, I'm here to tell you, you are the one that God can use. If you'll begin to get your faith in action, if you'll get up out of that place and let God do some things through you. And I'll tell you, it might not look the way you think it'll look. When I was young, I thought I was going to be a rock and roll star for the glory of God. <laughs> when I get home, I'm a rock and roll guitar player. And in my truck, I'm a rock and roll drummer. So if you ever see me, like, driving down the road, it's just, I just I love music and I just get that way. But God had to change my vision. I thought even as we moved to Orlando, I thought, you know, I was serving as the kids' pastor. One day, the sky's the limit. I'll be the youth pastor one day, and that'll be awesome. And I love youth pastors. So there's some youth pastors in this room. But you just haven't stepped into that arena yet, and today is your day. I'm calling you up, youth pastors. There's some young adult pastors in this room. There's some future physicians, some future worship leaders, some future musicians, some future host team welcoming people in. There's some, there's some future leaders in this house that are needed to reach our city. But it's going to take, you've got to be willing to lay down what you thought it was. I could have stayed there and held on to my dream to be a rock and roll star, but it wouldn't have worked out. I could have forced some things to happen. In fact, I tried to. I went to a college in Tennessee that was famous for making people into rock and roll stars because it's located right there on Music Row. And I remember after walking out of the meeting and getting my full ride scholarship and stepping out into the concourse and God spoke to me, he said, you can go this direction, but it will take you opposite of the way I want to lead you. You have to go this place the way you didn't think you wanted to go and I will lead you in a new direction. I had a decision to make. There's always the decision to make, whether we'll act in faith or we'll try to put our own pieces together. Verse 35, our story continues. Jesus is healing this, this woman, and, and I can relate so much to this father who's waiting for Jesus to come heal his daughter. Many of you know part of my story. In 2008, my wife Heather gave birth to our second daughter, Gabriella Hope, and uh, she had some heart complications when she was born. And 48 days after she was born, she passed away and stepped into heaven. And I prayed in those 48 days like I'd never prayed before. I get the desperation of this father. I understand, and I know you do too, when there's something desperate you need God to do, when you need him to show up and nothing else will do, and it seems like it's taking forever. It seems like, God, you didn't answer my prayer. And I remember praying that prayer in the car so many times. God, where were you? You were supposed to answer my prayer this way. And I remember when we walked into the funeral home, you know, when, when a family member or child passes away, everything's just kind of a blur. 
and just going on. I remember going into that funeral home, and we sit down at the table, and the lady comes in, and the first thing she said to us is not hello, not anything else. She says, you know, 80% of couples who lose a child get divorced. I was like, nice to meet you. You know, I'm like, thank you for that. There will always be moments to get in the sickbed, stay in that place. And I'm telling you, we were hurting, broken. We decided, we just looked at each other, that's not going to be us. And I know it's easy to say, but you got to do, like, you can't just say it. You've got to put your faith into motion. We got into church that next Sunday. That was that was a Friday when she passed. We were in church on Sunday because we, need, we knew that we needed something more than what we had. While Jesus was still speaking, this is the next verse, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Don't bother him anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus looked at the dad and said, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe. Here's the last key today. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. The last key, if you want to get up, you want to get your faith into motion, you need to get in the right environments. Because life will do its best to knock you out, hit you down to the canvas. And I would even say, add on to that, not just the right environments, but you need the right people in your life. Verse 37, Jesus did not allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So remember the crowd pressing into him? He said, none of y'all can come. Y'all all got to go. Only these folks can come. They came to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw the commotion, people crying, wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at them. The next verse says, he put all of them outside. None of y'all can come into this place. And there will always be this crowd. This, there will always be these people in your life. They love to continually stay in a place void of faith. They want to talk about all the disappointment, all of the pain, all of the loss. They want to stay in the hospital bed. Oh, woe is me, and I just never be good again. And how could God do anything? And I know God will work all things together for my good, but that's probably for somebody else, and probably not really good, but probably I'll just get by. No, that's garbage. You got to get around some people who have some faith, some gumption. Like, we're going to go through life. Like, and it's not always right. It's not always fair. That's why you need the right environments. You got to have the right people. And I remember the people that came in life, so many people coming and saying things to us while we were going through that. But I remember the ones who were there with us when we were crying and broken and just down there with us, just crying, holding on to us. The ones that you know, didn't know what to say. And there's never anything right to say in that moment, but just love people. Can I just say love broken people? That's what our world needs. Let's not be afraid to love broken, messed up people. And I know it's hard. I know it's messy. I know it looks like a lot of different things, but it's the love of God that drives out fear. I remember those things and, you know, I think sometimes we get in those places. It's easy to want to get down with somebody who's down because that's what we're called to do, right? To get down and lift people up. It's easy to get down with them, but I just want to remind you, you're not getting down with them in their pain to stay there. You're not getting down there to feed it. 
You're not getting down there to make sure they're okay with it and just kind of help them get by. No, you have the resurrection power of Jesus working in you. All of the power that it took to get Christ. Remember when he went to the cross, it says you could not recognize him as a man. But then when he walked into the room after he was resurrected, they knew who he was. So something happened that caused an unrecognizable mutilated body to become recognizable and alive again. All of that power is working in you and it's in you sending you on purpose down there to bring that power, to bring people up out of the dumps, to bring life where there's been death, to bring healing where there's been brokenness and destruction. You are there on purpose. It says he sent all the people out. And he took in the father and the mother and the disciples with him, went into where the child was, and he took her by the hand. Come on, you're called to bring life. And he said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. But I'm saying to you today, it's time to get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old and they were amazed. Come on, let's get on our feet today. I believe God is, wants to stir you up in your spirit today. Maybe you recognize you've been the one. You've been in the sick bed. You've been sitting back waiting for that magical day to come when you're finally ready, whatever that is. That day is not, like that's not the destination. Today is the day. You are ready now. You are capable now. If you you have breath in your lungs, you are ready to share the good news of Jesus. If you can show up somewhere and be, and be there and be faithful and make a commitment, you are ready. Come on. You don't need to go to seminary. That's great. You can do those things, but that's just as an addition to what God has already called you to. That's just an addition to your equipping as a believer. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.